بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Assalamu alaikum Welcome to the Zaytuna College Ramadan podcast During this blessed month we invite you to join the faculty staff and guests of Zaytuna College as they reflect upon timeless reminders from the Quran and the Islamic tradition Today's episode is by Dr. Ali Atai, who teaches comparative religion and Quranic sciences at Zaytuna College. Who are the predecessors who fasted as we do now? How was fasting prescribed upon our spiritual ancestors? Dr. Atai discusses the role of fasting in Muslim sacred history and the lessons we can take from that history today. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In this third segment in our series entitled Fasting in Sacred History, we will examine the topic of fasting in the Islamic tradition, inshallah. Fasting is one of the five arkan or pillars of Islam. The Prophet Muhammad is reported to have said, Buniya al-Islamu ala khams, shahadati Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad rasulullah Islam is built on five to testify that there is no God but Allah and that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is the messenger of God. To establish the prayer to give charity, to make pilgrimage to the house of God in Mecca, and to fast the month of Ramadan. If the Torah is the most important sacred text for Jews and the Gospels are the most important for Christians, the Qur'an is the primary Muslim text. Now, even though fasting is one of the essential pillars of the religion, the Qur'an contains only one passage consisting of five verses, five ayat, Al-Baqarah 183-187, to that deal explicitly with fasting. However, the Qur'an is a book that is teeming with meaning. Over the centuries, exegetes have written thousands of pages explaining these five ayat. Let's take a closer look at three of these ayat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 183 of Al-Baqarah, Ya I briefly referred to this verse in a previous segment. O oh, you who believe, fasting has been prescribed upon you just as it was prescribed upon those before you, la'allakum tattaqun, which can be taken as a purpose clause meaning in order for you to have taqwa. Now allow me to preface my comments about taqwa by saying the following. A severe difficulty that many Muslims face today is the loss of faith, iman, among their immediate family members, friends, and relatives. Due to the prevalence of atheism, existential nihilism, a cancel culture that is offended by everything, and an insidious revolt against tradition, traditional religion, traditional values, young people in particular are led to believe that faith in God is somehow antiquated or old-fashioned or even offensive. 
and even opposed to reason, and that faith equates to, quote, belief without evidence. What is especially disturbing about this phenomenon is that Islam is often portrayed as being the one major religion that is the most fundamentally antithetical to reason. This is simply erroneous. As Muslims, we have traditionally adhered to a three-dimensional epistemological approach. We can know that things are true based upon three sources working in conjunction, the senses, reason, and revelation. With respect to the latter two specifically, since both of these came from the very same source, they cannot be in conflict. In other words, revelation does not task us to embrace the irrational or the falsifiable. Quite the contrary. It is the revelation itself that constantly bids us to exercise reason. The Quran declares, Indeed, the worst of creatures in God's sight are those who are deaf and dumb, those who do not reason. At times, the Quran also reveals the rational basis for its commands, such as the command to pray. Indeed, prayer prevents indecency and wrong action. The rationale behind the prohibition of adultery is similarly given. The Quran says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina." Notice the Quran did not say, وَلَا تَزِنُوا Don't commit adultery. The Quran says, don't even draw near to adultery. Don't even put yourself in a position where that would even be remotely possible. إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا It is indecency and an evil path. Once you go down that path, things only get worse and worse. We can make a cogent argument that people destroy their lives. They destroy the lives of their children due to their engagement in illicit sexual relations. Now, the rationale behind fasting is given in 2.183, the verse that we quoted earlier. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ In order for you to attain taqwa, Taqwa is often translated as piety or fear of God or God consciousness. And these certainly have something to do with the taqwa. Linguistically, the word taqwa is related to wiqaya, meaning protection or prevention. In pre-Islamic times, the word taqwa was used by the Arabs as a fencing term. It meant to parry the attack of an incoming sword. When we practice taqwa in Islam, we are protecting ourselves from anything that might harm the state of our spiritual hearts and thus might harm our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is everything. Therefore, the muttaqi is the one who guards his spiritual heart by practicing self-discipline. He has control over his impulses with the goal of mastering the self. He is not a slave to his impulses and desires, which is a very common form of idolatry. He is only a slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet said, sallallahu Jannah, fasting is a shield. So when you fast, we pay special attention, special vigilance to the state of our hearts 
and there are seven inroads to the heart that must be guarded according to our scholars. The hands, feet, eyes, ears, tongue, genitals, and stomach. When we fast, we train ourselves not to abuse creation with our hands. We do not allow our feet to take us to places that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We do not allow our eyes to gaze at the impermissible. We do not allow our ears to listen to the impermissible. We do not allow our tongues to speak the impermissible. And we learn to have control over our sexual organs and appetite for food. The Prophet ﷺ said, Guard Allah and Allah will guard you. Guard Allah, meaning guard His injunctions, His awamir and nawahi, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect you and preserve you. When we practice vigilance, we are metaphorically setting up security checkpoints upon these inroads to the heart, thus protecting the heart from potential attackers. This leads to a heart, a state of being that is spiritually healthy and pleasing to our Lord. The Prophet Ibrahim السلام, is praised in the Quran because he was a quintessential monotheist and because he brought to his Lord a sound, that is to say, healthy spiritual heart. In other words, he was a man of taqwa in the most perfect sense. Now, when we abstain from food and drink during the daylight hours, we're going to feel twinges of hunger and thirst throughout the day. This is unavoidable. But what we tend to do when that happens is that we begin to look at our watches and phones and ask ourselves, how many more hours do I have to do this? How many more hours until Maghrib? If this happens to you, catch yourself. Then ask yourself, why am I fasting? Of course there's going to be hunger and thirst for long hours. You already knew that. So why are you doing this? Remind yourself that the purpose of fasting is not to simply feel discomfort of hunger and thirst and then try to get this over with as quickly and as painlessly as possible. The Prophet ﷺ said, كَم مِن صَائِمٍ لَيْسَ لَهُ مِن صُيَامِهِ إِلَّا الظَّمَعِ How many people fast who get nothing from fasting except hunger and thirst? The purpose of fasting is to grow in taqwa. The 30 days of Ramadan will come and go. They are ayam ma'adudat, as the Quran says, just a few days when you really consider it. One of my teachers said that when you feel those uncomfortable pangs of hunger and thirst while fasting, feed yourself. Feed yourself the spiritual sustenance of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Spend the time that you would normally spend eating breakfast or lunch and read the Qur'an. Say, Alhamdulillah. The Prophet said, Alhamdulillah tamla'ul mizan. The statement, Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah, fills the scales. He said, Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, tamla'ani ma bayna sama'i wal ard. Subhanallah and Alhamdulillah, Fill whatever is between the heaven and the earth. Satiate yourself with spiritual sustenance.
We are often asked by non-Muslims why we fast during Ramadan, the ninth lunar month. The answer is given in verse 185 of Al-Baqarah, the second of the three verses within the Quranic passage about fasting that we wanted to examine. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنَ هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِنَ الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانَ The month of Ramadan is that during which the Qur'an was revealed, literally sent down. Sent down as a guidance for mankind, as clear proofs of guidance and as a criterion. This ayah refers to the inzal of the Qur'an, the descent of the entire Qur'an from the preserved tablet to the earth during Ramadan in the Prophet's 40th year. In an earlier segment, if you remember, I said that the number 40 in the language of the Bible and within the greater Judeo-Christian tradition is often associated with a period of training or preparation for some sort of seminal historical event. In this case, God prepared the heart and mind of his beloved messenger, the greatest prophet of all time, our master Muhammad وسلم, to receive his final revelation. This ayah also refers to the Qur'an as the criterion, al-Furqan. It is the standard by which something might be judged. Imam al-Qurtubi said that the meaning of this is that the Qur'an separates truth from falsehood and clearly delineates what is lawful and what is unlawful. Elsewhere in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, تَبَارَكَ الَّذِي نَزَّلَ الْفُرْقَانَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ Blessed is he who set down the criterion upon his servant that he may be a warner unto the worlds. This verse, chapter 25, verse 1, refers to the tanzil of the Qur'an, the piecemeal revelation of the Qur'an from the angel Gabriel, peace be upon him, to the heart and mind of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, over a 23-year period. Therefore, the greatest night of all nights in the sacred history of Islam is the night during which the Qur'an was initially sent down to humanity, the night of power, Laylatul Qadr. The Qur'an says that the night of power is greater than a thousand months. This event marks the commencement of the Qur'anic revelation with the single word, Iqra, read, read in the name of your Lord who created humanity. The third verse in the passage about fasting in Al-Baqarah that I want to mention is verse 186. At first glance, this verse seems out of place or unrelated to the theme of fasting. It reads, When my servants ask you about me, Truly I am near. I answer the call of the caller when he calls upon me. So let them respond to me and believe in me in order that they may be guided. This ayah highlights the imminence of God in relation to his servants, not in terms of physical space, distance, or direction, but rather in terms of awareness, concern, knowledge, and love. But what does this verse have to do with fasting? 
Why is this verse in the middle of the passage dealing with fasting? When we fast effectively, our thoughts shift from the mundane to the spiritual, from the temporal to the eternal. Thus, we should feel a heightened sense of God's nearness to us. This should provoke us to engage in constant communion with our Lord. The Prophet said, Addu'a mukhul ibadah. Supplication is the essence of worship. Speak to Allah in your own words. Speak to Him with hope, longing, and love. The Hadith literature also tells us that the Prophet ﷺ used to fast twice a week. And as we know, this was also the practice of the Jews and the early Christians. Furthermore, on the authority of Ibn Abbas, the Prophet noticed that the Jews of Medina were fasting on the 10th of Muharram. He said, مَا هَذَا? What is this? قَالُوا هَذَا يَوْمٌ صَالِحٌ هَذَا يَوْمٌ نَجَّ اللَّهُ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلٍ مِنْ عَدُوِّهِمْ فَصَامَهُ مُوسَى He was told this is a blessed day, the day upon which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved or rescued the children of Israel from their enemies. So Moses fasted on it. The Prophet said, فَأَنَا أَحَقُّ بِمُوسَى مِنْكُمْ he said, I have a greater claim to Moses than you. And so he fasted on this day and ordered others to fast. This day was, of course, Yom Kippur, the 10th of Tishrei, called Asara bi Tishrei in Hebrew. In Aramaic, it was called Asura. Thus, in Arabic, Ashura, the 10th of Muharram. And with that, we have come to the end of this series on fasting in sacred history. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of you abundantly and accept your service in His cause. I wish you Godspeed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to the Zaytuna College Ramadan podcast. Help root Islamic scholarship in the soil of America by visiting zaytuna.edu forward slash support.